Hello, my name is Matt Barker. I'm the features editor of Campaign. Each day this week, we're going to be looking back at some of the best campaign podcasts over the past year. Today, we're going back to November and a tribute to the late Tony Cullingham, head of Bartle Bogle Hegarty's London Incubator course at Barn and the former leader of the Watford Advertising course. Work and inspiration editor Imogen Watson met with Helen Rhodes, the executive creative director at DBH, Martin Reed, deputy head of creative at MHP Mischief, Tom Weber, creative director at Ogilvy, and Dan Scott, a creative at Pablo. News of the untimely death of Tony Cullingham, head of Bartle Bogle Hegarty's London incubator course, The Barn, and former leader of the Watford advertising course, sent shockwaves across the creative industry in September, before an outpouring of love ensued, as creators thanked him for changing not only the course of their careers, but for many, the course of their lives. Cullingham's impact in the ad industry is unmatched, and he is remembered for his off-kilter teaching methods, which toughened the skins of many creatives. Having led Watford Advertising Course for 30 years, his lasting legacy is a number of former students to have forged notable careers in the industry, including Helen Rhodes, ECD at BBH, Martin Reed, Deputy Head of Creative at MHP Mischief, Tom Weber, Creative Director at Ogilvy, and Dan Scott, Creator of Pablo, who all join me today at BBH's The Barn. We considered getting together at the Yorkshire Grey, the old haunting ground of Watford Ad Courses, but alas, it was a tech-free area. You're all Watford Ad Course alumni. Can you remember when you decided to apply to, to Watford? I'm Martin Reed. Um, I was on the course between 2009-2010. Uh, um, I can pinpoint the exact moment because I was sat uh, outside a coffee shop near Rathbone Place. Uh, Dave Trott was um, treating me to a coffee. Actually, I, may, I might have bought him his, actually. Um, he gave me five minutes because he came and spoke to where I was working as a graphic designer uh, in Kent House um, for a little agency called Cubo. Um, he came and spoke uh, and really inspired me to, you know, I was on the graphic design side making make very mediocre ideas look pretty good. <laughs> but I thought, actually, I could, I, could, I could do that thinking. I like the sound of that. So I completely switched careers uh, just after I got married, actually. So I had a very happy father-in-law. Um, and Dave Trott said, do the uh, ad workshop course, DNAD, six weeks and get on the Watford course. So, um, yeah, I, I followed his advice. Uh, my name's Dan Scott, so I'll just introduce myself so everyone knows my voice. Basically, I wanted to apply, um, I think it was in my second year, actually. Uh, there was uh, someone who came in who was aiming to get into Watford, a guy called Jolian White. And uh, I was at the back of the class. He was he was lecturing, he was he was telling about, talking about advertising to a group um, of final, well, I think second years. This is when I was in my first year. And... Uh, I overheard it, and at the time, right, um, I think with, ad, with graphic design, you'd spend hours just trying to pick out the right colour and typeface, and it kind of drove me insane a bit. And then this, you know, he walked in and said, oh, there's this thing called advertising where you can come up with ideas and scribble them on a piece of paper and stick it on the wall. And I thought that was magical. So he started talking about that, and then he led on to about applying for this course called Watford. And it just blew me away um, about scamping and just energy and passion and pushing your thinking. And, and so I became obsessed with it and uh, I, I kind of put graphic design at the back of my mind and just started scamping and putting things on walls, um, which was kind of the um, wrong time because I went to Germany for a year to do a graphic design on the uh, Erasmus. Mm. So I was, in, I, was, I was acting in a different way amongst German graphic designers, but doing it in a very raw, gritty thing because all I cared about was the idea at the time. And then, uh, yeah, after that, I was just like 100% focused on getting to that. And I started doing one-minute briefs and building up and just constantly covering paper because that's what um, kind of the pure foundation of Watford is about, is, is covering paper, energy and passion. Hi, I'm Tom Webber. I did Watford 2007-2008. I had just finished art degree at Goldsmiths, Fine Art, and I, I didn't get on well there. Uh, my tutors, they kept saying, this work is too literal, it answers itself, it's leaving nothing to us. Um, I think they suggested advertising. Um, and uh, I found out about the course and I did the test and I loved that and it was problem solving. And I sort of think that's what I had been doing with my fine art degree, but had, had got nowhere and advertising was the, um, the solution for me. Hello, I'm Helen Rhodes, 
the oldest of the group today. So I think my time at Watford stretches the furthest back. I was um, year 2001 to 2002. And I heard about Watford. Um, well, I, I, well, I'd been working as a secretary. That's sort of how long you don't even call them secretaries now, do you? I suppose I was a PA at the time. Um, but yeah, just temping after university. And I thought, oh, advertising, that seems like a interesting career. I'd done um, one of those interesting degrees that are a mixture of two subjects that was like art and media. Uh, so advertising seemed like a, a good mix of those. And I went through the, the yellow pages for all the advertising agencies and called them all up and then actually came into BBH. They said, oh, come in for a week's work experience. And then that was where I found out there was such a thing as being a creative where you came up with the ideas for the ads and I thought, God, you never thought that career existed. And then everyone, all the creatives said, the thing you need to do is Watford, the course you need to do is Watford. Like it was, there was, there was no other course, it was always Watford. And Tony's reputation preceded him. You know, everyone sort of talked about this tutor and how sort of hard he was on everyone and how intense the course was, but it was, that was the only one to do. Um, and then when I got, you know, I applied and I got the copy test. That was when I was like, this is amazing because it's such a mm. lateral bonkers questions that, you know, you'd never, all your sort of, um, you know, like school and learning years before you, it was all quite literal and, and much more serious. And then this, this thing was just crazy. So I think then it was like, yeah, this is definitely something I want to do. Can you tell more about the copy test then? Because that's something I was seeing a lot of people write about um, after Tony died, and it sounded quite interesting. What was? Yeah, I mean, I think it was just it was it was these ten questions, and he changed it every year. So yeah, it'd be good to hear from the other guys what what were the questions that they were they were they were asked. Um, but it was yeah, you literally got sent a sheet of paper with these these ten questions that you had to answer, and I think. You know, Tony was testing lots of things like your ability to think. You know, he he didn't, he wasn't looking for people who could already write ads. He was just looking for something like that you think differently um, and you're able to, you know, come up with ideas and you don't take yourself too seriously and you're just covering paper. And I think it was also like the amount that you sent in as well as what was actually on that paper. Mm. Um, but some of the questions I had were describe as many uses for a piece of coal as you can or uh, create an advertising campaign selling Nike trainers to OAPs. Mm -hmm. What were some of the things you guys had? Yeah, I, I was going to say I echo that excitement of when you sit down and you think someone's legitimately asking me to come up with crazy lateral thoughts that are you know still logically linked but to some of these questions that and that I'm going to be taken seriously <laughs> um and yeah uh, some of the questions we were asked I love my cat make me want to eat it <laughs> that was, was number one actually I've got the list here <laughs> that would turn um, a lot of people away <laughs> I know I thought yeah go in bold Tony yeah. <laughs> um so I think I devised a sort of a menu based on lots of different cat varieties cat breeds and sort of work right. them into the you know the heritage of this particular breed is this you know, flavour. Um, but yeah, all sorts of things. Um, devise a campaign with executions to, prom to promote Davina McCall as the next Prime Minister. So that ages it slightly. Easy one, um, that. <laughs> uh, you know, how would Van Gogh sell Dell computers? So very, very interesting. But I think one of them was just who, what, where, why and when. You know, it was, so... What was the end. nostril one? There was a nostril um, one. Was it? It was like, a third nostril. Yeah. What would you do with a third, third nostril? nostril? Oh, my God. Well, encourage me to want to have one, I think, or something oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, that's it. But I think, you know, when I got to know Tony later on and we talked about that test, one, one of the key things he's looking for is definitely that, that sort of covering paper. You know, I think people used to, I don't know if it's true, but they used to say he'd weigh people. Measure it with his thumb. Yeah, yeah. He sort of looked like... Yeah, he measured with the thumb measurement. Yeah, like the, <laughs> up to the, you know, he'd get his yeah. thumb and just go right. Because it goes up to my thumb. He talked about, so um, Kev Masters, who, who works here, is a great director here. Um, Tony always talks about him because he, he always remembers his copy test application because it was the biggest. Like, it was just huge. And I think he bound it. And, bound yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, 
yeah, I think it was that just that sheer amount of paper that you covered to show that you were just constantly thinking of ideas. Yeah, that that hunger, that even if they're just you know the wackiest thoughts that aren't massively linked, it's you know showing that energy. And I think yeah, when I got so when I got to know Tony later, he basically said he wanted to see an individual come through the answers. It not it feels sort of copycat or stolen or mm-hmm. <laughs> you know familiar. He wanted to see an individual's personality come out through through those answers. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. There's no right and wrong to these answers it's it's kind of um no fear i mean it, it, he's, he's asking you to be silly as well i think sometimes people i think sometimes you know he said there's a difference between intelligence and smart and i think what tony would like to do i think it's like breaking intellectuals in a way and just be open and be silly and daft and and be no and have no fear really just express yourself in any shape or form with the answers that's the thing that people need to realize is there's actually no right and wrong to them you know, perhaps thinking there's a right and wrong is where you're going to get yourself trapped in those in those questions. But yeah, I, I remember just scamping all the answers out. I think one of the questions was um, if Simon Gale, what t-shirts would be worn at Simon Kill's funeral? Oh my god! Um, <laughs> and I remember doing designing a t-shirt. With, well, to be honest, it was pretty. I didn't realise how it came across, but I had like One Direction on a black top and like an arrow pointing down. Um, and then I I went out in it at a student union and everyone thought it was a different message they thought it was something else it wasn't to do, they didn't think it was to do you got with, a lot of attention yeah for the wrong reasons <laughs> um so it turned out so but the point was that it was just a silly idea it was it was just it, he wants people to be silly and daft and express themselves you know sometimes we'd go like um, um i'd rather you i'd rather you be um silly than than boring you know if you're getting to a boring solution or like something dry, just just be daft, just be ridiculous um, about it. And I think that's what he kind of wanted to see in those answers, really, in a way. That's why he gave you such unanswerable questions, you know, of what, who went when, what happened to why, you know. I'm that. intrigued by the third nostril. I'm going to be thinking <laughs> about that later. Exactly, exactly. But he, I guess he, he was also never scared to say, that's boring, that's dull, that's been done before. And that's something we heard a lot. <laughs> exactly. He never wants to. He doesn't want you to deter, deter you from thinking, because by not going through all that and, and not being scared to do a few dull ads or a few irrelevant ads or whatever, you are like pushing through those boundaries, and that's what he kind of wants. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's another thing that we'll probably talk later on for this podcast is is endurance and just being able to keep churning out stuff, mm-hmm. because the problem, the thing about advertising, people seem to forget when you get frustrated at work is uh, part of it is seeing babies die and not babies literally dying, I mean ideas dying. Oh, sorry. And <laughs> dealing, with, um, dealing with feedback every day and that's what he put you through because every day you're, you're seeing your work get criticized, destroyed, ripped apart and that's the part of it is that mm, sort of level. your skin. Yeah, taking it and that's how the course was built. That's why he was so harsh because yeah, it's not, it's not rainbows and kittens in, in advertising. The Watford course and it's also the barn, um, it was a short amount of time compared to a lot of other courses. So you had nine months, whereas there was some other courses like Bucks and, and various other universities where it would be three years. So, it's you know, it was, it was all supposed to be very intense and vocational because his whole aim was to everyone to get hired at the end of it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just all that work was squeezed into a short amount of time because you wanted people to be hireable. And I think it wasn't also just about getting a job. It was about having a long career in advertising, successful career. Mm. So I think building up that resilience because you need it in this industry, you know, it's just all those great foundations. Yeah, I think because it was a post-grad as well, some people were coming with some educational experience or they're a little, you know, they'd lived a little bit or they had, you know, all sorts of backgrounds, you know, I think came on and needed, he really just judged people by that, initially that submission to the creative test. But mm-hmm. I was going to say that the next step was you were invited in, weren't you, for uh, an interview and then we Yeah, got, after we got, the copy test, yeah. Uh, and then we got given a test on the day and I think right. we got about 30 minutes to answer it. He didn't, he didn't a- actually respond or give me any feedback to the create the coffee test answers it was like right move on yeah. <laughs> um but I, re- I recall this is a, I just said this really sums him up for me was um we were I think there was about six of us all sort of you know looking each other in the eyes competition um he told us a bit about the course and this was when he was really sort of you know stony faced very sort of you know 
very dry in his delivery and it all, you know it felt quite serious um and then um he gave us uh, we got we broke for lunch and he said here's your test i want you to write a uh, um a 2 minute speech on one of these famous people he'd written on the board and um from what I can remember, uh, Steve McQueen, the um, actor, was on there. Um, I chose David Shrigley. And um, during lunch break, I, I sort of looked up some of his illustrations and then I quickly got a pen and sort of copied them, sort of, sort of you know, pretending that they were his. Oh, I've got, mm. I've got some David Shrigley's in my bag. And that was part of my, mm. you know, um, uh, sort of talk, if you like. So, mm-hmm. And what he was really looking forward to people to, re- again, reveal something about themselves, show that they don't take themselves too seriously or how you're going to do this differently. Mm. Um, but most people just read out a Wikipedia entry. Um, so after that, he was—you know, could see—he was really pissed off. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, he's breaking the fourth um, wall because he. Uh, I think he meant there was some, one student that like, one thing I got through the email feed and what Tony taught me. Gmail. I just want to advertise that. <laughs> uh, that uh, it, yeah, Steve McQueen was one, and uh, they all kind of did a whole boring speech about it. So he literally jumped up on the table and started revving revving an engine and then he just looked at them and said that's my that's that's my uh steve mcqueen speech <laughs> it's breaking the fourth wall i think it's yeah. just kind of being like you know, the there's room. a reason they say think outside the box right mm. you know you write a speech oh it has to be a load of words it doesn't have to be like like you said yeah. Oh, yeah. like you said you you did a load of drawings and took them yeah. out your bag and that was very different that broke yeah. the fourth wall you and it's a shame that those people were <laughs> Wikipedia basis. So I think it was all a bit about like breaking you down to build you up again, like to the way you thought about things. So I think all the time you're at school, you're trying to like answer que- answer it with the right answer, you know, questions and trying to be, yeah, you know, there's there's exactly. a right or a wrong. And yeah. I think with this, there isn't. And I think like Tony was always about, would much rather, like would you always encourage thinking differently and being different and being fresh? Like he wanted you to um, look at all the old ads and know what's come before so that you don't recreate it so then you can push to do something something different and um he would much rather you were different and wrong than familiar and right and i think that's you know really true because in advertising you want to be memorable like you can list off the product benefits of a brand or a client or you know a product but it's vanilla and it's wallpaper, whereas if you just do something that stands out and it might divide people, but at least you'll be memorable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's that's a great example we were talking earlier is that be um, rather be funny and, was it, what did you say, silly and wrong? Yeah, different and, different and, and wrong. Different and wrong than be right and boring. Mm. It's because, you know, they always say this is the Oxbridge of advertising, but it's not exactly Oxbridge, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oxbridge, you go in and you're like, oh, what's the equation of this? And mm. it's, no, it's, it's, the it's, no, it's the opposite. Because he played different roles throughout the year, right? Like he would sort of play, bring out different versions of himself. What, what was yeah, that? because, uh, you know, he got a scholarship at RADA. Right. So I like to think that he liked <laughs> to put on a performance in front of his mm. students. He was an act, he, he secretly... A ve- he could have been a very, could have been a gr- really good actor. I don't know where he would have went being an actor because mm-hmm. when I told my missus that he got a scholarship at Rada, she was like, "What?" Because my <laughs> missus did musical theatre and she was like, "Rada's like one of the best drama schools in the world," and I thought it was a joke at first because you know Tony's loves making jokes and everything. And no, he got a scholarship at Rada, and I like to think that what makes him his teaching so special is he was able to put on that performance. You see, like you, we could we could talk on this podcast about revealing secrets about the course and that, but no one could teach like he can teach, and I think that's the magic of it. Because anyone could try and replicate what Watford have Watford teaches, but no one could teach like Tony can, and that's part of the performance of how we put across to people mm. in the way that you know he he sat in a cemetery for um, a, a thing uh, all night to perform as a role as a corpse in a theatre production. You know, I think something like that. One of oh, his. I can see how we got into Rada. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we played East End Gangster, I think, with um, with his audition at Rada. Um, It'd be great if anyone's filmed. Did you Shakespeare's and East End Gangster, wasn't that? It, yeah, I'm not sure. I, it's, on, Greek, it's on the shots. Some... It's on that shots article, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but I think I like to think that he put on a performance, and that I think only he could do that. I don't think other teachers can embody that. So I reckon, I reckon he had a script somewhere, and he would read mm. it before he went into the room. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Checked his lines. So, yeah. Yeah. He's I'm going to be really horrible. <laughs> really horrible um, today. One thing I read about um, from tributes was he was particularly good at pairing people up. You, he paired, did he pair you up, Helen? 
No, no. he actually <laughs> tried to split me and my, my old partner up. But yeah, I think it was all just Tony, like, it was all about questioning and, you know, he want. I mean, I, the pairing up thing was terrifying. I mean, all of it was terrifying. Now, now I'm sort of thinking about it, but it was also just an experience that you would never forget. And I think that's why all the Watford courses and students and people like where there's all the reunions and stuff and why they're all so close because it is such an it was such an unusual experience that is unique and that you share together and that is really bonding so the course started in September but then it was like you all had so you all worked with different people lots of one hour briefs where you teamed up with a different person to you know do miracle grow or pet vitamins or whatever it might be each hour brief was a different partner you'd swap it around so you got used to working with everyone and get an idea of who you work better with and things like that. But then it was like before Christmas, you all had to team up and get a book together before Christmas. So it was like that moment where you have to ask people to be like, will you go out with me? Will you be my yeah. partner? <laughs> and you didn't want to be the one. We actually were an odd number that year as well. So it was like, ah, I don't want to be the one left on my own. Um, and me and my old partner, Matt Lever, were uh, the first team to team up, actually, and the only team to stay together throughout the course because, you know, a lot teamed up and it didn't quite work out and then they'd team up with someone else. And I think just because we had been the first to team up and hadn't split up, I think Tony was almost, like, questioning, mm. like, is this right? Like, the, like should too you good be... to be true. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but we were a team for 14 years, so yeah. um worked out all right. I recall he was really good at splitting teams up. Oh, really? But I think that then the motive was you're going to be with a better person mm. or, or a more appropriate person. How would you go about splitting? What was his I think he'd just sort of um, sow some seeds and say, um, <laughs> so and so is working on their own. Why don't you go, yeah. why don't you go and work, work with them for an hour? And then, and then a whole new relationship could blossom. Yeah, he tried to part me up because when I was on my course, I was the craziest person. What he'd say is like, you know, two sides of the brain. You've got the logical side and then you've got the, I guess, the creative side. Either way, you know, the mad side. And there was someone on our course that was like the most logical thinker. And then I was the, the nut job thinker. And he tried to pair me up with the person who was a logical thinker because he kind of saw the left side and right side brain thing. But that didn't really work out. But I think, yeah, I, I find like t- teams are... For me, teams is the most difficult thing in advertising. Mm. I, I don't actually think it's a, it's not the work that's difficult. It's, it's getting finding a partner that's difficult. Mm. So you got to imagine on this course, you've only got like on my year it was because uh, I was I'm just going to say my year actually because I know everyone else did. I was uh, 2015 16. There was only uh, 16 people in the year, and I believe the years got smaller over the mm-hmm. course of the Watf- over Watford. I, I don't know how many people were in your year, Helen. It was, I think it was like 27 or yeah. 29. So like 16 yeah. people. So everyone's going, oh my God, we've got to get someone. Going. So we're all running around like headless chickens trying to grab the first person. And obviously, logically, the the people that the, the two people that did really well in one campaign of the week each would partner up together as a team because I'd be like, oh, we're the super team. But things would change over the course, you know, over where you would go and what briefs would set. And then, but... I, f- I think with Tony's methods, he I think he'd always kind of look of it, look at teams a bit like he'd show films like uh, was it Midnight Cowboy where you have Dustin Hoffman and who's the guy who played the cowboy in it? No one, the actor. I can picture him. Picture him, yeah. <laughs> he'd he'd use examples like that, like that or Lauren Hardy, mm. famous duos, and he would always go, "Could you see how they work together because they're so different?" And I think that's how he would look around teams is looking for two people that were completely different because he didn't really want me to be in a team with my partner, like Bex, who was from Watford. She was a year below me. Um, he, we, he thought we were both too crazy to be a team. But I think also Tony would always use these wonderful film examples to find what he'd believe the mm-hmm. perfect team would be. Yeah, I think the phrase was, if two of you are thinking the same, then one of you is redundant. Exactly. Right. Um, and I think that was echoed. You talked about how Tony changed. So he was this scary up till up to Christmas almost, really. You know, a lot of and and I've heard speaking to other other alumni that um, some people didn't return in January. You know, it was really literally like I can't hack this, <laughs> um, which was a shame because that's almost when it really you really started to you know you'd grown you know. <laughs> you've grown quite a thick skin but also mentally I remember parts of my I had headaches in parts of my head I'd never had before because I was forced to think in so so many different ways I was literally working a muscle you know I think we all were um, but that, I think I always remember at the sort of January time was like okay now we go see Dave Trot, mm-hmm. and then that 
was the that was the hardest I would say you know moment and almost a bit where Tony would take a step back the the bad cop would step back and the the nurturing side came in mm-hmm. um, and then as we began to move out of you know the the Watford classroom and into agencies um, you know when we were doing books in a week and and they were hosting us that's when Tony started to sort of nurture us a little bit more because the the tougher feedback was coming from you know other creative directors ECDs out there yeah that's the second term so I mean even the basis of thinking changes Mm. first term it's more basic um, set your brief set your message you'd have it all there on the plate for you while as the thinking evolved, you'd always you'd start you'd give you harder brands. There won't be fish fingers anymore. There'll be cars. Or <laughs> I, I loathe bread. I actually despise bread as a brief. But much harder things where you'd have to search for the message or benefits. So the the briefs would evolve as well. And then yeah, you, you, second term after Christmas it would be the agencies. And I mean, I mean, it, it's it's daunted, but it's also excited. I think that was kind of a, a, a sweet shot being on that course was being able to go to those agency each agency for a week. You wouldn't get that on other courses. I think it was like you know you'd go through all this pain. Um, I mean, obviously you'd enjoy it because that's why you want to go to Watford to to be through those go through those drills. But then you go through all this and you get the, the opportunity to do a week at each agency, which I think is... Is that because of his partnerships with, with the agencies? Yeah, well, it's a alumni network as well, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, it kind of grows. I, mean, I guess that's how it was formed. Yeah, we were ex-Watford yeah. students. I think like that first section, the first term, like the boot camp phase, it was because none of us had any experience of writing ads. And I think like if you just talk to people on the street, what... what writing an ad is or what making an ad is they think it's puns or jingles you know like even though most ads aren't you just sort of think that and I think when I turned up at Watford I didn't have a clue so that first term is all about drumming into you like how to come up with an idea it's all about ideas and I think that's also why Watford was the best course because it was so based in the idea obviously like the craft is so important and you know bring it to life with beautiful art direction and copywriting but it's but, you know, first and foremost, there's got to be a great idea there. And I think that first term was just all about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once, you know, we had an idea of how you could come up with a good idea, then you got to go to the other agencies and have bringing up lots of other people's opinions. Exactly. I think that's something we need. To, I think, to personally, I think the, the the most important thing is the idea. I know at BBH, as, as Hegarty would put it, it's 80% idea 80% execution I don't agree with that I think that's absolutely fair to say but what I will say is that uh, you can only get good craft if you have if you till you've got a good idea first because it'll be easy, if you have a good idea it'll be easier to get the craft and the and the copy to write to mm-hmm. if you have a bad idea you don't know what you're writing or art directing to so in my opinion forefront most is, is the idea mm-hmm. because it leads on to the craft um, so I guess that's why that course, like as as Helen puts it, why the idea is so important. It follows on to being able to craft the writing and craft the art direction around it, or for the message you're talking about. You know, it's kind of weird things I've seen where I've sourced some stuff for. Um, God, there was some old ads like "Drive the Car Down the People That Hated You." You heard that ad campaign? The student did. And, yeah, yeah, it's like "Drive Down the Road" that people um, that didn't think you'd make it. And it was it was for this like fancy car and the art direction and the writing was amazing. It was just this sort of attitudinal way of going, oh look what I've got. Or it was kind of more of a hateful speech about people kind of criticizing you or what you couldn't make it. But and then the cart direction was kind of scratched. It had almost this like punchy sort of way. But that all came down to the idea. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important why Watford stands strong with that. I mean but yeah, I'll stop rambling. Apologies. In in that in that second term when we started going to agencies, I, I kind of I guess it reflected on Tony. You know, he was showing off his students to these agencies, so there was probably some pressure on him then. Mm-hmm. You know, because in the years that have passed, when when he's bought the course to come for crits with me and my partner, um, he's. You know, he's 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 often said, I don't think they're quite ready, or, and he said maybe can you be harsh on them because they need to kick up the ass. And so, you know, now I now I know he would have done that back in the late um, uh, early two thousands with us. He would have said, um, told people to be harsh on us, be nice to us, or because he did really care. I think that's also really interesting. Like, and everyone who went to Watford and then 
after leaving Watford, like the evolution of your relationship with Tony is re- really interesting because there's obviously a time when you're a student at Watford, but then when you leave and you get a job and then Tony's bringing his students to you, um, I think, yeah, it's just the, the relationship kind of changes. And I think also that thing that Tony said, which is absolutely true, is once a student of his, always a student of his. So like your relationship, it would sort of evolve. I mean, you also, whenever you, you saw him, you'd still revert to that student again, like even you know, when he was in the barn and they sort of saw him every day, you'd still, you know, because I think it is such a, a formative experience. But you know, throughout, you know, he'd keep in touch with all his students and when people wanted to move jobs, you know, they'd always talk to Tony and, you know, he'd also speak to then other teams and be like, oh, you know, recommend people. And I just think he also just had a knack of sort of popping up when you'd least expect it or when you needed it. Like, I remember uh, when I, I was working out in America, I was at Wyden Kennedy in Portland and I was... BBC Creative got in touch about the job there and they flew me over for an interview and I just had a baby at the time so I was sort of thinking oh, I've got to get there early because I've got a breast pump, I've got a pump at the agency and I was like trying to like work everything out I was like you know sort of just got off a flight and I got to the to BBC Creative in, in White City and then I saw Tony <laughs> he was outside at a coffee shop with like all of all of his students and yeah, I sort of feel like you know, he was there, basically taking them there to, Feels like a to sign. do. Yeah, it was it was really strange. Anyway, and then I sort of gave him a big hug, and he like whispered to me, "Oh, don't worry, I'll put in a good word for you." Um, <laughs> and you, you got the and job. I got the job. So I mean, was it me or was it Tony? We'll never know. He's probably like London's most successful headhunter, but he just <laughs> never got the, the fees yeah. along with that. Exactly. So we found out he's been a headhunter. He was in Rada, but I also found out today that he actually started in advertising. So why do you think he went? to teaching from there he didn't like clients (laughs) (laughs) he used to moan about some clients to me actually he studied at Watford he went to Watford originally he studied at Watford yeah so he went to Watford obviously um, he didn't teach himself that was a different tutor (laughs) at the time and then worked in advertising worked at Saatchi and Saatchi worked at a few agencies and then I think he saw like there was an advertisement for the next tutor of Watford and um I guess, it, I don't know, I'd guess that he just, I mean, it obviously was a calling because he was so good at it. And um, I think it's probably much more rewarding to to teach other people and see their, you know, see their progression and help them get other jobs and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's quite a selfless thing, I think, because obviously the world of advertising, you can earn quite a lot of money, much more than teaching um but i guess it was something that he found really rewarding and and in, enjoyed to do i think that's what we discussed before this podcast started because i think we had a few things we can add on here where we said that i think the discussion was that i think it's more yeah like like helen's put it it's more rewarding to see um students or people real people make it in industry than it is to release a, a a poster ad and, and not know where it is in London. Oh, it's in that one poster site down the road. Have you seen it? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not criticising advertising, obviously, because that's what we're all striving for. But I think this is really rewarding. I've seen people develop and succeed in big agencies. It's I mean, I get this. Yeah, it's human, and it, it, it yeah, it, it just feels, it feels quite powerful to have to see that more so than any work. And then those students end up making work. So there's almost like a domino mm. effect, isn't there? Because all the work you see in DAD annuals, I can only imagine him looking through a few ads or you've seen all the John Lewis ads because a lot of John Lewis ads were done by Watford teams. Mm. Um, and seeing those and go, I was part of that, mm. you know, built up to that. It's a domino effect, but it's far more powerful than um, just um, writing a social post. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that's all advertising social posts. But <laughs> I, I don't think we'd have the meerkats without Tony, mm. for example. You know, <laughs> It'd be good um, to see everything that he has as he didn't like puns, he wouldn't though. get credited in any of it. <laughs> There's no credit for Tony, but it'd be good to actually just put out all the work that he influenced. There was discussions about um, of 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 removing uh, as to for uh, we had there was a disc- while back when I was talking to Tony about promoting the Watford course of removing all the ads that were directly involved by Watford students from the DAD annual. So the next DAD annual, just remove every single ad that the Watford team was involved in and then see the effect then. 
Um, but yeah. But I think he also got as excited for um, whatever creative careers some of the students went into. So he talked yeah, just as fondly about one of our one of our um, peers, I guess, um, wrote uh, a speech for an American president, for example, wow. or you know, uh, were stand-up comedians, mm. or you know, open started charities, for example. There was, uh, you know, he was happy to see you know, those side hustles really flourish and was all about the making on the course as well. So that following through. So, you know, we're we're in the barn room at the minute, surrounded by all, all sorts of projects that have been built and, you know, made and uh, and actually, you know, probably even PR'd to a degree. He always encourages students to get out there, show yourself and, you know, um, there's plenty of stories in here of <laughs> those side hustles. So. Because, yeah, we, we, we thought about the Yorkshire Grey, but it actually feels very apt to be in the barn right now. It's a lot more pure. Yeah, which is, you can see a sort of lasting imprint on it where everything's left as it was. But, Helen, obviously you guys are all Watford alumni, but you worked with them later with the barn. Can you just talk a bit about that experience? Yeah, I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess suppose following on from what, you know, you're sort of saying about why did he, you know, instead of carrying on his career in advertising, you know, take the job of being a tutor at Watford. I think I, I would have loved to have actually asked him that and seen seen what, what he'd have said. But I think he also then when obviously Watford shut and then I talked to him about um, starting something at BBH because um, the balm previously had just been like a... a, a traditional sort of placement scheme where teams came in you know, once they'd obviously been through various advertising courses and had a book together and if their book was good enough they were able to get you know placements at agencies and it had been stopped during um, COVID because you know obviously no one was in agencies so young teams didn't have people to learn from but then we were coming out of that so we was looking to start it again but I thought rather than just continuing it how, it how it had been, it would be good to do something that opens up that avenue into advertising that, you know, that most people wouldn't get a chance to do, you know, if you aren't able to financially put yourself through ad school. And when I talked to Tony, he was like, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd love to be involved. I'm going to stop doing Watford. Um, and I think actually being back in advertising agency, like for you to mm. sort of see how much he loved it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, he loved being in this environment and he sort of said to me, oh, I've never felt more creative because I think, you know, rather than being in a sort of university in, in, yeah. on the outskirts in Watford, you're actually in it and you're around people every day coming up with ideas. And, you know, obviously he was really committed to the students on the barn, but, you know, when they were working on briefs, he would just wander around and talk to all the creatives. Obviously, we also have some other ex-Watford creative teams here. But, you know, he would just walk up and chat to everyone and be like, oh, what are you working on? And, you know, he'd write a headline or he'd have an idea for something or, you know, he'd just have a way of sort of elevating it. Um, and you can see, I think he just loved people and he just loved being around people. And, um, yeah, so, no, it was, it was amazing. Uh, it was a bit, you know, when we were talking about it, I wasn't sure you know, how, how it was going to turn out. But yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing for the agency. It was great having all these, you know, young, enthusiastic students in every day. And yeah, and I think and just Tony's influence on, on the agency, you know, not just in the creative department, but he would chat to everyone, you know, and, and it was sort of evident at his funeral, there, was, there were people from BBH there who were from many different mm -hmm. departments, you know, production, account management, um, security, you know, um, <laughs> obviously Victor was there. Yeah, yeah. His, um, when I got chatting to his daughter Ella, she actually said that the security in their local Audi are really upset oh. that he died. So <laughs> yeah. he, he really would speak to yeah. anyone and uh, found anyone interesting, you know, yeah. found something interesting about them to talk about. What a um, lovely talent of his. I think that was it, actually. He did have something different in common with, with different people. Mm. Um you know, like obviously Nick Gill here, they would like just talk about foreign cinema, you know, their love of like foreign film. Um, you know, I talked talk to him about theatre and his kids, you know, talk to someone else about like holiday destinations. Um, he, he just had such a sort of an eclectic, you know, taste of, of culture. And I think that's another thing. And also, also as we sit here in the in the barn and you just look around, uh, like this, I always sort of said like this room was like the most creative room in the agency. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, he's got obviously all lots of old ads and you know really interesting art direction styles and copywriting. But then, as I look around, there's some pictures of sexy Jesus. That's and, been catching my eye um, this whole time. <laughs> screaming Lord Such, and you know, lots of just funny, you know, bits of writing and things about film. And that was also something at Watford and and the Barn. And I think just like his that he would do in general is just like absorb all culture and just be like constantly feeding on film and comic books and TV shows. And I think like just having that voracious appetite to consume culture. And I think that was the whole thing about staying relevant. Um, and, you know, he was still very relevant at 66. He went to, you know, his evenings were full of things. He'd, he'd, he'd go on his own to gigs. He'd go in and see theater, go to the cinema all the time. Um, he, he just did so many things, so many interests. There's some of the paperwork we got at the very start of the course when he introduced it gave us a long list of things and then, you know, ranging from the Beano to Spike Milligan to, you know, classical composers and, you know, you get to the end of this sort of almost a full page and then it says, that'll get you about 5% there, you know. Mm. He was so open to, to, mm. to a whole range of things. Um, I was going to say as well that legacy he would leave by continuing to bring ex-students back in whether it was going to visit agencies around London or, or, or wider um, but actually having mentors as well so Dan and I mentored the students I think you've done it a few times as well Helen haven't you I'm not sure yeah we all have we all have here yeah we've all given a little bit back um, and whether it was just through coming and talking through your own experience or setting a brief and critting it in front of them or um, Tony and I shared a love for sort of um, pranks at, uh, <laughs> during April Fool's Day mm. so we always you know, do the brainstorm a load and then I'd go away and make them and, and with him um, and then he'd sort of show the students that you know if you, you follow through with an idea you make it then it can become something greater but I remember one time he said I want to tell everyone that we found Van Gogh's ear that you cut off oh my God. So um, that then, obviously, I then went to the local market that sold a load of sort of dog treats, and I bought about eight different animal ears. Oh <laughs> Imagine getting and caught I with that. Sort of delivered them to him, and so like, like which one? Pig, pig, yeah, pig, yeah, pig Van pig, Gogh, rabbit, goat, whatever. Yeah. And I sort of, I was just like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> yeah. just go on Amazon and get a fake ear. <laughs> Just wouldn't have that sense wouldn't. of real oh, reality, wow, man. you know. So yeah. yeah, he liked the uh, you know wouldn't have the grease in there and the hair. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Particular smell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he was yeah he was it's just all context right. He was just yeah. loving that. He was loving like oh here we are looking at ears. This is bonkers. But mm. you know that that sort of mischievous grin he had. There was definitely a, the barn as well. It was like love to foster that sense of mischievousness. And there was a brief um, each year that was to the students to this week you've got to become famous mm. um so the first year sim and katie they uh set up outside the houses of parliament when it was boris was sort of being um interviewed about party gate and they set up like a, a, a sort of a party outside of um house of parliament and got in all the newspapers and then Last year, Marlon and Aisha, they created a 100% British non-colonial crown during right. the coronation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's made purely of, like, British rocks rather right. than, obviously, all the jewels it that the shit. actual coronation <laughs> crown is, is stolen from various countries. Um, and they went to outside Buckingham Palace during the coronation and we just, you know, had it in this, like, Perspex box and all of the na- you know, sort of multiple nations... Um, you know, news crews were there and interviewing them. And so I think like that idea of like having an idea, making it and then doing something fun and putting yourself out there and not worrying too much was, yeah, yeah great. There was one team that just stood in the Tate Modern and put a ping pong ball in their mouth. That was Doug and McCall. There you go. And yeah. uh, they got in the papers for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it was quite crazy, that one was. So often with Tony, speaking to him, you never knew if he was telling the truth or a lie. Mm. I found I'd come away from a conversation thinking I, I need to I need to look all this stuff up because I don't know if it's it's real or not. Um, that yeah. Would it often be real. Uh, it would. All, uh, there was a, a element of reality, but he had sort of twisted it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I found. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he um he he liked also to to make people feel uncomfortable, but in a in a sort of a a good way. I guess kind of um like. Uh, it sounds wrong, doesn't it? <laughs> no, no, I know what you mean. He was quite at ease with an uncomfortable silence, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, so 
for the past six years, I lived on the next door street to him, so I'd see him all the time. And so often he'd just just be um, sort of shouting up at my window from the street, and my neighbours must have thought, "Who's the, who's this madman?" And I'd go down and I'd, I'd talk to him on the doorstep, and just, you know, often often these conversations go on and on and on and on, and then. I mean, we never ran out of things to say, but I often had to get inside, and I'd, I, you know, I'd end up just closing the door on him. And <laughs> still talking from the other yeah, side. Yeah. We'd go for lo- lots of walks, and he'd often um, hold hands or put his arm oh. around me. Uh, we'd go to the local playground, and he'd want to climb trees, and he'd he'd um, he'd he'd often sit on the swing and say, "Tom, Tom, can you push me? Um, I, I want it to look like you're my carer." <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh, yeah. Beautiful. He climbed trees, memories. didn't he, and stuff, but he couldn't get down, so he had to pick, pick him up out the yeah. trees, didn't he? Yeah, yeah he, he was always right, always right going up, but I was always a little worried um, when he I'd came down. You were kind of like a carer, afar. weren't you? <laughs> yeah, I was. So, <laughs> so he's on a qualified job, is he was actually a carer for Tony. Yeah, there you, you go. Know. Did you get paid for that? Was it like voluntary? Or, like? <laughs> he paid me by educating me. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Um, one thing that just popped into my head that I remember was... Um, when you're on the circuit and you're getting placements, people used to say, there's the Watford book. And um, that would tend to be sort of eight to 10 campaigns, but at least three posters for each. And even, you know, in the later days, it was like, if you've got an idea, great. Can you, how often can you execute it to? Where can you stretch it? But his heart was always pen and paper, posters, get those done. And, And actually, I know a few teams that didn't even really go that far with the way they crafted the art direction it was purely you know one one team I met with it was it was scamped work mm-hmm. um, and they'd change it a lot and they'd um, you know depending on wh- who they were speaking to which agency which ECD they'd customize the, the ideas to a little bit you know to a degree but yeah that love for print I think he was always there for him mm. yeah because you know it's the purest form of communication it's what you you drilled into your head at the start you know get straight onto a poster only then will you know if if the idea is clear, communicate, because it's three seconds flat that someone could register a poster, mm. you know, because people have short attention spans, as we all know, in London. Uh, so that's kind of what you drill into you. But I, I think it's still gospel with anything, really. Mm. Everything you need to get your things through, poster, format. And we all seem to forget that. I think one thing I always like love talking to Tony, partly, was to remind myself of what I learned, because it's so easy to forget what you've been taught you start like doing slides instead of scamps, you know? Or you might just not, you know, forget about insights and just try and write a witty headline in a social post, but not think insightfully of what that is, to- with that audience, well, it's which audience it's talking to. So I think I, I felt like very lucky, um, blessed to be able to talk to him all the time because he kind of, remi- kind of reminded me how I should be working in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like traditionally, p- posters are the purest form but that's the way i mean right now look that's all it's all kind of poster media on the walls isn't it the whole whole room Badly is timed boners preach is also been talk about talk up. about preaching it preaching the gospel here we're just surrounded by posters yeah. i mean even you've got right i know no one's noticed that that was a famous uh, famous bbh thing they sexualized ice cream that was for um harvard dash yeah yeah right up there which was um famous poster campaign in the 80s so like Stuff like that, you're surrounded by, and it, literally, this is what you'll learn. But imagine all these are scamps, mm. essentially. Mm-hmm. That's basically the, that's that's what I mean. That's you're right. Yeah. Well. I, mean, I think that's the thing. And differently at the beginning of Watford and the Barn, it was you know when you're answering briefs, you have to do it in a post format. Because I think the hardest thing to do is to be simple. Mm-hmm. You know, too often you, you might think you're being too clever or coming up with a complicated idea and there's a few steps to get to it but obviously in a post day it just has to be really simple and get it immediately this is probably the hardest podcast that i've had to bring to an end because uh, we could talk about this all day long but i just want to say thank you but i want to say thank you excuse to stay away from work i could add one thing which might sound like a nice you can finish it off at the funeral, um, mm. the the uh, vicar that ran it was a close friend of the family, and um, and I'm right in saying at the end he almost you know linked Tony and compared him to Jesus <laughs> in the fact that you know he was there for everyone, he nurtured them, he understood them, and um, changed lives for the better. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I often still find myself thinking, you know, what would Tony say? What what would Tony do? Mm-hmm. You know, that still sits with me now. Every time I sit there with a blank piece of paper. 
you know, it's he's still on my shoulder. That's uh, just one, one last thing. I just want to say one, one last thing, right? And I'll say this. I think I want to say this. This is stuck in my head for the podcast and everything. Oh, I think I think Tony, people used to say that Watford was a cult. Well, it, I think one thing I had a discussion with Tony, Watford isn't a cult, it's an attitude. Right. I think everyone, everyone, you know, the way you think, the way you write, the energy of passion you put through it, you're fueling Watford through you. And I think people need to be reminded is that everyone uh, could be the next Tony in the way they think and do. I mean, that's kind of an attitude that you should take on. Mm. And I think that, that sort of spirit of learning through Tony, that thinking process could be passed on. And I think, it's, I think it's a duty for all alumni to keep teaching and training students way on, way, way after this, mm-hmm. you know, with Barn and everything. I, mean, that's, I think that's, if that's a call to action on this podcast, I think you've got to carry on mm. teaching and fueling people with that attitude, that mindset of energy and passion and covering paper. When Tony... Um did the first graduation of well, did the graduation of the first barn he had some advice to them mm-hmm. i don't know if that's quite so he did did a speech and it was yeah there was it was the graduation so it was the first um lot of the barn and he had some advice for them going forward so there was like five bits of advice that he had so the first one was that no one is better than you People can be more eloquent, articulate um, in arguing an argument, uh, have more experience, might know their way around an agency a little bit more, like the, the logistics, the politics. But he said um, they're no better than you, so bear that in mind. Then the second thing he said is like, don't ever chase the money. Uh, he would get calls every day from ex-students saying that they were really ha- unhappy at the agencies they were in, but they were just sort of stuck there by by the golden handcuffs. Um, that their salary was such that they, they couldn't get another job. Um, so he said, like, people tend to price themselves out of a market. And if you if you chase the opportunities, whatever money you require will come your way. So don't chase the money. Um, chase the opportunity. Third thing he said was to support each other. You know, we've kind of touched on it here, but, like, the, the Watford alumni, like, you know, people, ex-Watford people always have reunions. Um and that's happened throughout the years, and he wanted the the barn students to carry that on, and they have done. Like they're always a, also a really close knit group, um, but obviously it, it can be a tough business. So wanted them to be there for each other, support each other through this business. If anyone needs help or there's a job opening at the agency you're at, and someone needs a job, then let them know, and always stay in touch and meet regularly and help each other through this crazy business. The fourth thing was you um, need to develop your creative pursuits outside of advertising. And he actually quoted John Hegarty and said, creativity is not an occupation, it's a preoccupation. Um, so always be creative in other areas, which again is something we sort of talked about. He was always like that and absorbing culture and, and having um, creative pursuits outside of the business. And then lastly, he said, you're in this, in this industry because it's fun. The moment it stops being fun, you need to do one of two things. You either change your attitude or change your job. If you stay in this business and have fun, then it won't feel like work. It really won't. So do have fun. That's all we have time for. If you'd like to learn more about what we've been discussing, then please visit our website, campaignlive.co.uk. Details of our subscriptions are available at campaignlive.co.uk forward slash membership. If you enjoyed this episode of the Campaign Podcast, please follow us, like us and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. A big thank you to Haymarket producer Till Owen and producer Aidan Lyons from Rethink Audio. And also to you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time. On behalf of the campaign team, goodbye.